0: All right. Welcome back to another edition of the Bluminati podcast. Proudly, proudly presented by Irish 31. Uh, folks, make sure you go to uh, Irish 31 for, for all your fun and, and drinking and college football and pro football and all the like. Uh, we'll, we'll get into it. But the, the watch party last week was a, uh, a raging success. Want to thank everyone for coming out. Uh, but they're, they're still having watch parties at all six uh, Irish 31 locations all season long. They've got wall to wall flat screens. It was great at the Hyde Park location on Thursday. The next uh, Bulls bonus watch party with Danielle and Magic 94.9 will be Saturday, November 20th at the Irish 31 in Wiregrass, 28358, Willet Way, Wesley Chapel, Florida, 3354 three that is for the two lane game uh folks i know a lot of people are going to be out there but uh make sure you know if you're not go head up to the the irish 31 oh have some fun uh and you know seth you were there for a little bit uh i know your 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 kiddo was a little sick so you, oh, yeah. you had a you rush had home to
1: make, had to make an emergency exit there but uh <laughs> yeah it was uh, uh it was a great spot to watch a game though it really you know, was it was it was a really really cool setup um, we had a really good turnout uh, unfortunately I had to leave a little early but um, looked like everybody had a pretty good time uh, maybe because of the game at times and in spite of the game at other times.
0: Yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, I'm always uh, I'm a worrier when it comes to throwing events and having parties and stuff uh, like I nearly canceled my 30th birthday like four times uh, on the lead up just because I was really worried like no one would show up. Uh, And then it turned out that there was like 40 or 50 people showed up and uh, Rocky, the bull was at my birthday party. And, you know, the same thing uh, happened last Thursday, just a ton of people, a ton of supporters, a ton of people, you know, there's the the core group of people that kind of have followed us for years and, and, you know, we're, we'll be at everything uh, that, that we throw and just are real big supporters of us. And then there's you know that just the random USF fan that wanted to come hang out with uh, fellow USF fans. And uh it, it was nice to to meet a bunch of people. Uh the, the wizard was there. Uh just a bunch of people. It was a lot of lot of fun. Uh Dave Anderchuk was there. Um we're gonna say it was for the watch party. Maybe he was just there having a, a nightcap. Uh, we'll we'll call it that. Uh but then former USF players, uh Billy Atterbury, Eric Lee, and uh Vincent Jackson Jr. also came down and, and hung hang hung out with everyone. Uh they they stayed well in, well after the game uh and just kind of talked shop. It was great to to speak with those guys. Hadn't hadn't talked to Billy and, and Vincent since probably since after they since they graduated. So it was nice to kind of catch up with them. And then uh I had never talked to to Eric Lee, so it was really cool to to speak with him and he's a massive dude. defensive lineman. had a safety in the NFL, um, with the Patriots. just a, it was a really fun all around good time. And we raised some money for the blog, which is always great. We're going to, you know, offset some expenditures, uh, for, for Vito and the crew and, uh, you know, pay, pay Morgan to take great, photo- uh, f- f- great photos for us. So, uh, it's been, it's been, uh, Really nice, and just shout out to iris Thirty One for for putting us up and and letting us have that. I I hope uh, hope we didn't disappoint, and uh, yeah, it was just a, a great time had by uh, hopefully all. You know that the results of the game were uh, less than ideal, and we'll get into that. But the the atmosphere at the party didn't really sink. We still had some fun uh, regardless of the results. So again, I really appreciate everyone coming out. But Seth, it's Tuesday. November second, which means the very first college football playoff top twenty-five was released tonight. I'm sure it was totally fair and made a lot of sense. Yep, definitely, uh, definitely got some undefeated G five teams in the top twenty-five. Didn't leave out teams that are ranked in the AP and the coaches poll. Definitely didn't do that. Um, so uh, let's let's pull up the top twenty-five and see. See that it makes sense, right? It's definitely gonna make sense. Oh yeah. No, not no particularly. No, it doesn't. So obviously the glaring omission here is UTSA. Uh maybe maybe even Penn State.
1: They're mm. starting to slide a little bit. Yeah. I, the you know I the The thing to me, obviously, I think everyone's gonna look at Cincinnati first, and that is kind of it. Doesn't really make sense based on, you know, they went on the road and beat number ten pretty handily. I thought it was not like a really they they were in control for most of that game against what the committee is called the number ten team in the country. Um, The only better win on here would be Oregon, right? I guess Michigan State and with Michigan at seven, Oregon with Ohio State at five. But uh, it's I, I think you know it's obviously it does not do any favors in terms of perception, uh, especially towards the G five where you where you feel like um, Cincinnati. This has basically been two years in the making because they were so good last year. Played a really good Georgia team, really tight in that game. Probably should have won it um and then come out this year and and have played pretty well for most of the year even those games were you know to um uh, to lane last week everyone was or whenever that was it was oh you know they they were really in trouble i think their post game win expectancy was like 99% so there was never really in doubt it just didn't look great but it was never in doubt so but i i'll be interested to see how this goes if, are they going to the thing with this is they can basically artificially pad the back end of it to help the top end make sense to them, so no s m u no Houston that gives them reasons to leave out Cincinnati right Well, they don't have any other top twenty five wins right mm-hmm. really open Notre Dame wins it out you know otherwise you you know maybe you'll see Penn State sneak back in after Ohio State beats them or you know if they win their other games or You know, these the Michigan State, Ohio State, Michigan, they still all have to play each other, I believe. So there's going to be some movement there. Oregon, I don't know if you can trust them to win out the way they've kind of been up and down this year. Um, But they're really just kind of Oklahoma and Wake Forest kind of waiting in the weeds there. If one of them were to go undefeated, I'm sure they'll jump Cincinnati, even though they're not going to have much Oklahoma might by the end of the year, but Wake Forest... I think we'll struggle to have a a much better win than Cincinnati's Notre Dame win. So
0: hopefully this shakes out a little bit and Cincinnati gets a shot, but it it usually doesn't seem to work out that way. No, absolutely not. And, you know, Oregon lost to Stanford. Yeah. So you've got two one-loss teams in the the top four. Uh, You know, obviously Alabama – I mean, Alabama was going to be in the top four regardless, unless they had two losses, right? Like, so that makes sense. But you get to three, four, five, six, there's really not much separating any of these teams. I just don't understand how Cincinnati gets penalized, right? By beating Tulane by 19 points. Yeah.
1: And I mean, at least, at least they're in front of Oklahoma. If they would have been behind Oklahoma, it really would have been like, well, what what are we doing here? Because Oklahoma struggled even more against Tulane. So what's yeah. the what's you know what's what's the deal? So uh, yeah, it's it's obviously frustrating if you if you're not a fan of a Power Five team because it's really, I mean, what else what else can they do?
0: What else can Cincinnati do that they haven't in the last two years? right and uh you know this name will be familiar to a lot of usf fans uh andrea adelson she used to cover uh usf and the big east uh in the esp back when uh, the Big East was around and then uh, she moved on to be a more of a a general college football uh, reporter. Uh, She, she put out a tweet that kind of sums it up. Uh, The CFP selection committee has telegraphed exactly how it feels about the G5 for seven years. Why would this year be any different? And I, there's really not a response to that, right? It's Yeah. That this is exactly, I, I, exactly how I think
1: I do. Yeah, I think there is something to that, but I also think that this Cincinnati team is with the with how they played last season and then the scheduling of this season going on the road to Notre Dame. It puts them in a unique situation that I don't think a G5 has been in. Coming off that great year, you're going on the road and have a chance to beat a top 10 team, which they did. So, they feel like they're in a unique situation. Now, it may it may end up being the same old situation over again, but um, there was some hope that this was kind of a more unique situation and that they would get a chance. Because on the field, you know, I mean, what have they done wrong last years? They, they lost to Georgia when they probably should have won the game. If they win that game or they say it's top four, probably not. They, it probably doesn't change anything. So, really, you know, what else can they do? I don't know. It, it's really bizarre. And I think it's not like this is not like a Boise state team from years ago where you got Jared Zabransky as a quarterback and he'd be lucky to get a sniff in training camp. I mean, there's people talking about Ritter as a first round draft pick, which I don't know, you know, take it or leave it, but there's people talking about him as a first round draft pick. They've got first round draft picks on defense. They've got NFL guys all over the team. So this is not like uh you know, a plucky underdog. This is a really good team. That's got a really good coach and a really good coaching staff. So I, I I don't know they they don't really fit the mold of that underdog G five team they're a really really good team that I think can play with about anybody.
0: Yeah, I mean I I just I don't know what they're gonna have to do uh, I don't know what any school you know even even Central Florida I mean they they, they were really good in seventeen and eighteen and they never even got close to making it right and now. Now this, uh, who was their best?
1: Who was their best win? Like out of conference, going into those in those years, though,
0: probably like didn't they have games canceled when they were supposed to play? Yeah, bigger or UNC or something like that. But I think one of them, maybe Georgia Tech, one of them got canceled. But I mean, seventeen and eighteen, I I guess, I guess UCF's best win in seventeen was that USF game at the end of the year, right? So you, so you gotta see that
1: gone out of conference, be the top 10 of what the, the committee's is saying is a top 10 team on the road. I mean, what else and can you nothing. It, you can go through, look at best wins? Michigan State obviously has the win against Michigan this last week. Oregon against Ohio State. What's Ohio State's best win? I don't know. What's Alabama's best win for that matter? That Florida win is looking worse and worse every week. Right. And then Georgia's kind of in the same boat. Clemson, they're kind of looking worse and worse each week. So Clemson, what, I think
0: four and four now.
1: Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe five and three, but yeah, they're in that range. They're not very good. <laughs> so I think you could comfortably say Georgia's a really good team. Alabama, you know, based on the talent, seems like they're going to be a tough team to beat. But you know, they have a loss, and, and their best win is. Ole, uh, Ole Miss by this, which is sixteen. So it, it's kind of a tough, tough deal if you're a Cincinnati fan. But hopefully, some stuff shakes out and they keep winning and make it a really, really difficult decision. And hopefully, make it to where they can't leave them out and they get a shot because that would be it'd be fun just as a college football fan to see some more people get involved than they're kind of the same four or five over and over again. All
0: right. I, I don't know. I mean, I think Wake Wake wins out. It that's it, just that that would be Clemson if, if Clemson doesn't lose again. That's Clemson's fourth loss of the year. Like, how much does that really boost them? It's I mean, it's always going to be the, the powers, the the there's the power five and then there's the the actual power teams within those conferences. Like, no, like Kansas isn't gonna be in the playoff regardless if they go undefeated, right? Like it's just one of those things where You've got to be a brand. You've got to be Georgia. out. I mean, I think even the CFP is probably counting on Michigan State to to slip up because they're yeah, not. Really, so. They're not. They're not the brand. No, right? They're not. They're not. They, they're hoping Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Oklahoma needs to figure it out. They're really – the CFP, from from what they were saying uh, after uh, the announcement, they were really hoping the Caleb Williams thing was going to help turn around the program and, and really put them in a better spot. But, I mean, their defense is in shambles still. He doesn't play defense, so I don't know what Oklahoma is going to do. I mean, uh, NC State uh, for, for Wake is not – I don't know. I, I, this is just kind of where we're at at this point, right? It's we're stuck. This is what it is. Uh, if, if you're G five, if you're you've alienated, what, uh, 115 of the 130 schools in FBS. And maybe even that's, uh, Maybe that's too low.
1: Yeah, I thought this was kind of an interesting tweet on the Cincinnati situation. So Brad Powers is like a really well-known sports better, uh, especially college football. Um, and so this is what he said he would set the lines at for Cincinnati. He says everybody would be a huge underdog. He said right now, if it was if the playoff as it's constituted in the rankings right now, Georgia would be like a 17-point favorite and Alabama would be a 15-point favorite in their, in their two matchups. So outside of those two, he's got Cincinnati as a favorite against Michigan State, a favorite against Oregon, an underdog to Ohio State, a pick'em against Michigan, and then a slight underdog to Oklahoma. So this is not like I this is a I think this is a team that's getting a lot more respect from Vegas than a lot of these other teams. And then you look at like Michigan State, they're still not getting a lot of respect out in Vegas, which I think is probably the best market to look at ranking teams because that's, it's all based on, you know, making money. So right. they have the most incentive to be correct. So yeah, if you look out in Vegas, Cincinnati's, you know, uh, uh probably even higher than they are in the, in the rankings here, but you know, you never know. Stuff could shake out. You could get like a Michigan state, Michigan, Ohio state round Robin of losing. And, and that would take kind of all of them possibly out. So, well, it's, we'll see. It's going to be um, interesting to see how the committee moves this stuff around. But, you know, any going away from the, what's funny is going away from the computers and the BCS has made it worse almost, at least with the computers. You felt like teams had shots if, depending on how they play. If they played a, a good enough schedule, you win enough games. You feel like you have a decent, you could give it a decent look at it because you don't have to worry about eye test or any kind of changing metrics. Um, but you have kind of a set set of right. metrics that you have to, to achieve. So uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's obviously annoying, but hopefully um, we'll see how it plays out. Cincinnati keeps winning. Maybe they'll sneak in. <laughs> uh, I don't think I don't. I wouldn't bet
0: on it, but I mean, is, it's it, unfortunate. It is what it is at this point. Right folks. And uh, uh there's really nothing we can kind of do at this point except uh move on i mean they're not this thing's been kind of set in stone for for 7 years right i mean it's not going to change this is this is what college football is and it's why you know folks like uh, jose fernandez have been so Big proponents of there's not a power five; it's a football five, but everything else is level playing field, and that's why for basketball at least this is uh, the the rankings and, and the seating of the tournaments for men's basketball it makes sense. Women's basketball is a different case, but at least they all kind of have a shot. Uh, and you're when when you only. Damn! What five percent of college football legitimately have a shot at getting to the playoff? Maybe your system's broken. No,
1: there's another uh, timely tweet here from one Michael Kelly. Time to put twelve laces inside the football, Brett. Which, Mr. Kelly, you are not wrong. Which, if you know, if this leads to that. You know if seeing Cincinnati get totally screwed leads to some expansion to 12, I think 12 is a good number. I would leave I would prefer 16 personally, but whatever. If it's 12, it's 12. Um, I think that would help the sport tremendously. Uh, because right now, like you said, if Wake Forest wins out, are they going to let Wake Forest in and they're in a power five? Like, is it is it power five or is it is it TV? Right, you know, if Cincinnati's in the Big Twelve in a few years and goes undefeated, will they get in over a one-loss Alabama? Probably not. A one-loss Ohio State, probably not. So you gotta you gotta expand. It'll be good for the sport. Um, you know, if if there's any, and you'll make more money too because you have more <laughs> games to sell. So win win for everyone.
0: Right. It's just I mean, the, the spark for college football for a lot of folks that aren't at Alabama or anything like that is just dwindling. Uh yeah. because they, they they have no shot. I mean, love love the Duke's Mayo Bowl Twitter account, they're fantastic. But no one wants to end up end their season if mm-hmm. if like that's their peak, like USF's peak was the Birmingham Bowl. No one wants that. Literally no one wants to go to Birmingham. Mm-hmm. You went back to ten plus win seasons, and you ended up in Birmingham. Call I mean, it's a sham. It's a it's an absolute sham. It's a travesty. I feel bad for Cincinnati, but uh, you know, and it, and it sucks because now they got it. they have to win out because if they lose, oh yeah, it's over. They're mid teens, just like that. No, and it's. See, it's, we tried to tell you they weren't top four material. Yeah, they weren't it.
1: Well, so it's, it sucks, but, you know, they did it last year. Hopefully they can repeat it. I just think it'd be a good story. Um, Even if they're leaving the conference, they're not going to be conference mates, but,
0: you know, it, at least it shakes it up a little bit. Right. Get some new blood in there. Like, no, like, there's even having Clemson just out of the picture to, to free up a spot is, exhilarating almost right like maybe even maybe having michigan state in there regardless if they get blown out or not like they did against alabama a few years ago it's something different yeah you know it's you know let's see another team get blown out by alabama instead of the same one so i i mean why not well change the color sometimes right yeah everybody right now it doesn't seem to matter
1: besides i think ohio state Everybody else in the country is a double-digit underdog to Alabama and Georgia right now by Vegas. Just doing like potential matchups. Maybe even Ohio State might be a double-digit, maybe a low double-digit, but everybody else is double-digit. So at that point, it doesn't really matter. Was, let's put the teams that have played the best this year that have won. If you've won all your games, that should definitely give you a leg up. I don't know. That's just that's just me. That's just what I think. You know. Yeah, and winning should mean.
0: Something yeah. let's let's make all 12 games count here, folks. Yeah. But I guess that's enough. Correct I mean we went surprisingly 15 minutes on the college wall playoff. I was not expecting that. Let's uh let's switch gears and uh get even more depressed <laughs> <laughs> as uh let's let's rate recap the, the ECU game. Uh the Bulls lost 29 to 14. On a very, very wet and soggy Thursday night, Uh, Tim McClain didn't play. Travis Marsh started in his place, uh, looked okay early on, and then just it kind of fell apart in the second half, not just for him, but for the the entire team, uh, threw three picks. One of them really wasn't his fault. I want to say the other two were one was definitely a pretty, uh, was a pretty br- brutal throw by him. Uh, he finished fifteen to thirty for 192 yards and a touchdown in those three interceptions. Uh, Kelly Joyner goes over 100 yards for the second consecutive game. Jaron Mangum, uh, we talked up uh, all last week and the week before that he was finally gonna have a touchdown longer than nine yards, and he did it—24-yard rushing touchdown. I missed it. I couldn't believe it. It was actually real. Couldn't believe it, and uh, you know, last week we kind of made a point. His all of his touchdowns this year, I think total twenty six yards. He almost matched it, and he matched it on one carry. So uh, there you have it. Uh, And then uh, the the receiving touchdown was for uh, was a season long too um, by Xavier Weaver. I believe was thirteen yards. So good for them. Um, we're gonna we're gonna get into third downs tomorrow on the film room, but uh, it seems apropos that we discuss it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not gonna uh, spoiler. I'm not gonna be on the film room tomorrow. Uh, Robert Ste will be hosting alongside Seth Varnador. So I'm just gonna get my takes out now. Um, I was told by USF officials this week that the reason uh, the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator media sessions were, uh, taken off the schedule this week uh, was because of a lack of interest. And they actually got taken off last week. Here's my silly brain thinking, oh, they got taken off because it was a short week. They're traveling on a Wednesday. Blah, 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 blah. I feel, and this is just my personal feelings, that people may want to talk to Glenn Spencer this week. Possibly. Perhaps. Oh, we'll, we'll get into the play calling. I, I assure you, we will get into the play calling, NSC. I, I assure you that. But when ECU converts uh, 11 of 17 opportunities on third and fourth down. And they came in converting a lot, though, right? Nope. I <laughs> I believe they were at what twenty eight percent. I think they were at twenty five percent. Twenty five percent. Twenty five percent. Not great. No, Seth, it wasn't. It and was not great. And here's why. Besides, you
1: know, letting them convert fourth, third, third, and fourth downs. Why does it really hurt you? You go and look at the yards per play numbers. USF averaged six point five two yards per play. East Carolina averaged 5.48 yards per play. East Carolina ran 26 more plays than USF did. Those conversions add up over time, over the course of a game. So, that kind of stuff tends to come back to bite you, especially when you add it to turnovers and other kind of sloppy play. So, not ideal against a team that really struggled on third down. This is kind of becoming somewhat of a pattern, even the last three seasons going back into 2019, they were very bad on third down on defense last year. I think it might've been a little bit better because of how bad they were there before. And now this year's uh, not great again. So yeah, it's not, uh, not great. That's kind of what when you to win these kind of toss up games, you've got to win those kind of things. You gotta win third downs, you gotta win turnover battle, you gotta win field position. Those are the kind of things that that takes you from a two win team to a five win team or a, a one win team to a four win team. Those are the kind of things that add up over time. Um, right now, let's see, where's USF? Nationally and opponent third down conversions. They're currently giving up
0: 39.81. Is that correct? Uh, that sounds about right. So. So it, it, here, here's the thing that really sticks out. Uh, ECU's average third down yards to go. So the yards they need to convert a third down was 7.3 yards to go. The average yards gained on third down. 7.1 yards per third down. So now you're talking about fourth and ones, fourth and twos. And obviously you're going to go for it. I mean, shit, ECU went for it on fourth down six times, and the only time they didn't convert was on the goal line when Holton Naylor's butt fumbled. Yeah. I, I I am so so, so tired of usf being aggressive on first and second down and they are being pretty aggressive on first and second down they're getting those those you know negative one so you're getting along long, you're getting you're getting long situations like a third and seven is a win for the defense yes. yet you're continuing to drop three or excuse me rush three drop eight and you're giving up nearly the entire first down every single time you drop eight in rush 3 and what's amazing to me what's truly truly amazing to me is USF has five sacks on the year why what on earth would convince this defensive coaching staff to think you know what on a passing situation that we know it is third and 7 or more Let's not bring pressure and try to create havoc and get the quarterback on the ground. Like it really felt like ECU had to really try hard to mess up on third down to not get five or six yards. And they averaged seven yards per rush and they, they averaged 10.8 yards per completion. And they were six of nine for 65 yards on third downs. Like, what are we doing here? Like this Colin likes to throw this word around, but that's malfeasance. You are setting your players up for failure by doing that every single time. And we're gonna we're gonna go deep into the. I I, I told Seth the all I want is the third downs. That's what the film room is going to be tomorrow. Just the third downs, and we're gonna go and we're gonna dissect those third downs. And we're going to see how many times they rush three drop eight, and what they're doing, and how it how it all shaped out. Because you cannot continue to do this and expect to have success. You're setting you're setting your team up for failure, and they're failing every single time because you took you you're you're taking your foot off the gas on the one of the most important the the most important down in a, in a series, and uh, I mean. Glenn Spencer needs to have a come to Jesus moment at this point because uh, if he's not careful, he will be out of the job by the end of the year because it's not working. It is not working and it hasn't worked for how many games are we into this? Uh, We're eight games into this season. We're 17 games into his tenure. It ain't working. He wasn't that great at Oklahoma State. I think he may have gotten lucky at FAU with the talent they had. I think we may need to have that discussion here. Yeah, it's not, you know, at a certain point, it's What
1: what kind of gets me with with this kind of stuff is, you know, just watching the game. They did try some different things, but it's not, you know, it's consistent. It's not like this is a one-game issue. It's consistently there's consistently been some problems the last couple seasons. When I watch a team like Navy play Tulsa at Tulsa, and they give up like 294 or 300 yards to Tulsa and Tulsa just left Tampa rolling up almost 600 yards of offense. I got to think that USF has better players and more talent than Navy on defense. Even with guys being hurt, I I have to think that they're more talented than Navy. So what's kind of why, you know, what's the big difference in result? I don't know. I can't put my finger on it exactly, um, but there's definitely room. There's no reason uh, a USF defense should be terrible, one of the worst in the country, almost two, three years in a row. They they had they did some good things in '19, even, but not. They were pretty bad then too. It's kind of a issue that's creeped in, and it hasn't gotten any better. We've seen some improvement from the offense. The defense hasn't quite been there last year you had the covid stuff you had guys getting adjusted to the new scheme you had guys being hurt guys being out last year you know you, you can kind of it's kind of a wash you can just kind of let it go um but a lot of the same issues are creeping up um and you've been a little bit lucky unlucky with injuries as well <clears throat> but it just hasn't really been great the last few years hasn't really been good that's why when we were kind of doing the uh, predictions for last week i was like i I thought ec would score in the 30s just because i'm probably going to predict almost everyone they play to score quite a few points because the defense just has not consistently been able to stop people the last two seasons
0: yep i agree and you know they would have been in the 30s uh seth if if it wasn't for the butt fumble i mean they were i was just a Stupid ass play call. I mean, he hadn't taken a snap under center all game. Yeah. Uh It's pouring, raining, and you, you're expecting your quarterback to, to do that. I mean, it's and just a dumbass play. Before the you showed it before the uh, instant replay, you you showed he's going to get up under center and run a sneak. Like so a I, man, it was just it was a dumbass play that bailed out bailed out Glenn Spencer and, and U.S.F. Frankly, <laughs> that's the I, only I, time you got to stop. I think they are. They're trying to
1: do some different stuff. I don't. But the problem is, we don't have like the all twenty-two film, so it's hard to tell if this is a bad call or did this one guy mess up. There's a couple that it looks like they're trying to do some stuff because early, the way they tried to play it is they tried to play almost man on the outside and then have the safeties playing over the top of number two. And ECU just kept hitting like little quick out routes and, and quick throws out there and picking up five, six, getting into fourth and short and and, and converting there. So, you, you've got to change things up. you got to do something. I just think that there's enough talent because I, I think the defensive line is playing really I, probably better than we anticipated coming into the year. Don't you think they've, they've played really – pretty well compared to what we thought we were going to get with how kind of undermanned and undersized they were. They're not getting blown off the ball. You know, it's not – they're creating some problems for people up front a little bit, more than I thought they would, Um, especially when they go to kind of that four-man look. It seems to help a little bit. The three down doesn't seem to be the best look for them. It's it's like they're searching – for another line they're trying to search for that like 11th guy to really set what they're doing on defense is it a fourth defensive lineman is it another linebacker is it a third safe you know what? what is it exactly they're still searching which you'd feel like they would like um, to have that figured out by now but it, it, that's kind of their issue when they, it seems when they go four down they have some success
0: right the run at least <laughs> it, I don't know I'm ju- I'm just looking at their their big plays right now. They had nine k- rushes for 139 yards on big plays. That's uh gains of 10 or more yards. Two of those plays came on third downs, which is uh they had a third and 12 or early in the game and whole Nailers uh broke off a 19-yard gain uh and then there was another one on third and 10 and they got 12 yards uh at the beginning of the, uh, of the second half. And I believe EC went down and scored that first drive. So, I mean, it's those opportunities that are, are taking, you know, they're putting points on the board for the other team because you're not, you're not getting the opportunity to get off the field and it, it it's continues to be a problem. And I, man, I just, I, I worry as we get ready to preview Houston here, uh, I, I worry about what a good offense is going to do to this defense and Glenn Spencer. I really do because it, there's no rest for the weary. You get Houston, and then six days later, you get Cincinnati. Yeah. Now, in, in defense of Glenn Spencer, which nobody wants to hear,
1: but <laughs> when ECU's complete completing go routes down the sidelines when it's man coverage, what's Glenn Spencer supposed to do about that? You know? There are a few of those where it's just it's man and man, and there the other man seems to consistently win. So obviously you can try to mix things up, but there there are those instances where you're it's just man to man on man and, and you're losing too. So guys gotta step up and help him out a little bit, but there are some things that they're giving up that seem like they're making it too easy on the offenses. So there is some of that too. It, it it's not I'm not totally uh absolving coaching and, and and play calling but there there is some of that too where you know at a certain point you guys got to make plays in man to man coverage too. So there's a little bit of that but uh, uh, there is a lot of giving up easy stuff which we'll talk about tomorrow and we'll go through and kind of see uh, what they tried to do and what they were thinking and why it didn't work a lot. So We'll look at it tomorrow, but I, I think there, there's definitely some stuff they can switch up and, and try to make it a little bit more difficult on offenses because if you just keep letting people convert and, – and that's kind of the other part of it that maybe he's not quite adjusted to is how often people go for it on fourth down now. It's not enough to just stop somebody short of the sticks. Once they pass you know, the 40-yard line – or, or even once they get you know close to midfield, they're probably going for it on fourth down. So if you hold them to if it's fourth and eight, and you hold them to six, well, that doesn't mean you're off the field necessarily. So maybe you need to adjust kind of how you're calling the game because maybe I don't, I can't even give up six. I'm really hoping to give up like three or less. So I need to be a little more aggressive, right? Oh. So so that maybe that's an adjustment he has not made, and and that's something you got to make because that's how the game is played now just look at usf they're willing to go for on fourth down a lot more than i'm sure they were five ten years ago so that's just how the game is played now you got to make that adjustment if you don't it can lead to where you're you're, you're feeling pretty good you look at third down six to 17 that's great then well they went for six times on fourth down and got five of them so that's five drives those drives got extended anyways so it doesn't really matter you off the field Cause you're for 17 third downs. The drives got extended 11 times. That's not quite as good.
0: Agreed. And uh, I don't know, man, it, this is just a, uh, it's just frustrating. Um, to, to see that there hasn't been much improvement. Right. And it's, Uh, offensively there's been improvement but defensively it seems like there's just still backslide like they held temple to what 14 points because they weren't on the field but they still averaged what 200 yards of all 200 yards in 15 minutes and averaged uh, what like 6.5 yards per play I mean you're still giving up over 200 yards in 15 minutes so like what the Tulsa game
1: kind of right it kind of put it like a a little bit of a false sense of i wouldn't say security, but Tulsa had, <laughs> Tulsa had like six hundred yards of offense in that game. the turnovers really helped keep that game really tight and really helped take away kind of what the
0: what the score should have been the 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 kickoff return especially
1: the the kickoff return for a touchdown, the interception return for a touchdown the short field they gave your offense, you know those really hid that Tulsa came in and racked up almost 600 yards of offense on you. So even, even in the games were like, Oh, we should have won that one. It's like, oh, no. you know, that was, was kind of in spite. The defense gave you the, the big splash plays with the turnovers, but they still have problems down to down, stopping people. And that's been a consistent theme the last two seasons, down to down looking yards per play on defense it's consistently been one of the worst in the country in terms of yards per play the last two seasons. So something's got to change, obviously. some change of scheme, change of play calling, change of uh, whatever, just something's yeah. got to, something's got to give there because what they're doing has not really been able to work yet. And it's been yeah. quite a few games now.
0: And said so I want to kind of pose this question and mm-hmm. I, I don't know if there's an answer or, maybe I'm, I'm grasping here but um, saw an, saw a tweet or an article today uh, for, from s- somewhere basically discussing how ads are firing head coaches sooner and sooner every year yeah. because the they're realizing how bad that first year recruiting class is um, and yeah. Just kind of coming in. I mean, you guys saw it in seventeen, right? I mean, you combine the the, tw- the last class of Taggart and the first class of Charlie Strong, and it's not it's not a great class um, that still remains. So uh, there's there's some credence to that. Is there? I don't want to say there's a parallel or maybe even a connection, but is there something maybe like a dead you know the the dull dead count dead cat bounce where you know, you fire a coach, and you get you know a lift, just a, a fresh face. Like, is there? I'm not saying to, to fire him now, but like, is there is there any credence to to that kind of thought? Like, get out ahead of this earlier, unless you you feel like wasting the last month of the season with a guy who's. I mean, it's. I'm not saying it's written. In stone that it's going to happen, but it feels like it's trending that way.
1: Yeah, I I mean, yeah, it's sometimes you see that. Like uh, you'll see head coaches get fired sometimes, and you'll see the team go out the next week and win. I think USC might have done that this year, and then the next week they got whacked. So you know, it's kind of you might be able to get something out of it. um, Where it you know could hurt you potentially is in recruiting if if this if it's a guy that's got a good relationship with a player on that side of the ball that you need um you know hypothetically and a hypothetical sense if you fired a a coach that you know was kind of one of your lead recruiters on some guys then you might lose on those guys but um you know it's i think it's different head coach and coordinators it's kind of a little bit different um i know um for instance with florida since i'm kind of covering them as well Basically, after that LSU game, and it, it became kind of a fait accompli that um, uh, Grantham was going to be fired at the end of the year, not renewed. It seemed like Florida's top two defensive commits have decommitted and they're looking at elsewhere. So, you know, that could, that kind of thing could happen. But, you know, I don't know. It seems like there's, if they're going to be really big into the transfer portal, you know, it may may not hurt as much because you'll kinda end up selling these guys on on some other things and, and obviously the scheme will be important, but I think a lot of times transfers are looking for fit with culture and and closeness to home and things like that, right. it seems like. So you know, yeah. maybe maybe it doesn't hurt so much if you're going after the transfer portal. Which is like, yeah, so that and that seemed to be something that Jeff Scott talked about
0: today at length was transfer portal and, and talked about seven and a half minutes worth of recruiting in, in the middle of the season. There, Seth, it seemed like uh, there was a theme this week and uh, talking to Damn head coaches in, ever. And, and during the God forbid they talk about recruiting t- during the season. Yeah. Man, I it's, it's I would have never. It's not recruiting season, mate. I, I would have never thought that that question would come up and have a coach just so spectacularly just drop the ball. It's been the easiest alley-oop all week for coaches not named Dan Mullen since. Seriously. The- I mean, Norvell hit it out of the park. Uh, I, Jimmy Lake kind of. He kind of fumbled the back he, a little bit. He fumbled it, <laughs> but hey, but nobody, nobody cares no, about the nobody. Pac-12, so. Nobody cares yeah. about the Pac-12. No one cares <laughs> that Washington thinks that they're not recruiting against right. Oregon and they're recruiting against academically superior schools. No one cares about that. But I mean. It's basically since that Mullen press conference, it's been like Mullen's that
1: seven foot French guy was it Fred, Frederick Weiss? <laughs> and every, everyone just Vince Carter. Down the Everybody's just just oh yeah, man, the lifeblood of the program. Bang! <laughs> I'm gonna talk about recruiting for seven minutes. Bang! It's just been it's just been that guy after guy after. And I mean it's kind of you know he, Mullen's not great with the media. Yeah, which yeah, is surprising that he's gotten to kind of the level he's at not being very good with media.
0: Apparently that was his – that was the sticking point for him. I think Stephen Godfrey had, had said this for a long time, that he was just really bad at job interviews. Yeah, he, he got – he lost like uh, – he interviewed at Tennessee twice and they
1: didn't take – interviewed at Miami, didn't like it. So, so he kind of got lucky that Florida hired his AD from Mississippi State. So they didn't have to worry about a first impression, is what. It's
0: like. so. <laughs> so uh man, God bless. Which bodes well for recruiting. Oh yeah. <laughs> but he's got really cool Jordans. That doesn't help me. Oh man. And you mentioned the 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 transfers that probably are coming in or possibly coming in. There's a bunch of defensive linemen uh, kind of sniffing around the program, um, if you guys haven't seen. And you know it's going to be much needed, right? But uh, we got to get there. And I just I worry that if Glenn Spencer's back and and there's not improvement in this last month of the year, it's going to be a Sterling Gilbert kind of situation with the fan base where it it's untenable and he's already, and you're just, you're wasting another year. So you've got to, you got to see some drastic improvement. Otherwise things are going to get dicey real quick. If they haven't already. It's a tough, it's, I mean, obviously
1: he's an old coach. He knows this, but it's a, you know, it's a tough business. It's a results driven business. You are what you put on film, all those cliches. Uh, But, you know, eventually at the end of the day, it's tough to justify keeping somebody and and i can sit here and give you all the reasons why maybe it's not his fault but it's tough to justify to most people keeping people on that have been last the or, or pretty pretty close to last the last two seasons without a kind of a step up and improvement so i understand that uh, but it, it's a tough gig. you know. I, I think watching his FAU defenses, I think he likes to play more main coverage. And he's not really able to do that for whatever reason and doesn't think he's able to do that. And so that's kind of – you're seeing them try to play a little bit more softer zone and just the holes are gaping in the zone. If you can't get there with your pass rush, which when you only rush three and you're not Georgia, it's tough to get there with three. So – there's definitely some stuff you could switch, and, and we'll talk about tomorrow. But you know, it's at the end of the day, it's a results-driven business. So. Yep. And there's uh, only two. Guys, I was told by an old coach: there's only two kinds of coaches, coaches that have been fired, and coaches that are gonna be fired. So that happens to everybody in the business. That's just what you kind of know getting into it. So I was never fired, by the way. Just throwing it out there. Good for you. I retired
0: retired in the middle. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. So let's get into. I don't know if this is happier. Let's get into Houston. It's not happier. Okay. Uh, USF welcomes Houston. The number 20 uh, ranked Houston Cougars. To Tampa on Saturday night at 7:30 on ESPNU. Uh, the Cougars are seven and one, and it seems like their one loss has been a is a bit of a blip on the radar. The the team that they lost to has already fired their head coach. They lost to the middle school in Lubbock. Uh, as the wizard is mentioning, yeah, former USF great. Marco Blackwell coming back to Tampa to coach against his former team. He's the running backs coach for the Cougars. Uh, I see a uh, familiar logo staring him in the
1: face this week.
0: Yeah, we're going to have a, a fantastic throwback logo that we've been pining for, for for years and years, and we're getting it for the 25th anniversary uh, homecoming. Um Seth, uh, off the top, just kind of looking at Houston, uh, the turmoil that they've had over the last year and a half, two years under Dana Holgerson, it seems to have fixed itself. Uh, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, I, I, I the what's most surprising is that they're really good on defense. So. That's kind of been the biggest fix. I think offensively they've been a little up and down, but their defense is really, really good. Um, if you'd like, I you can throw up the the old
0: analytics here. Yes, yeah, so absolutely. To see. Absolutely. And as you as you get into that, let's uh, uh, you know the, the things I love to to talk about. Third downs, uh, as you mentioned, their defense is really good. Uh, opponents are converting twenty five percent of their third downs. In the game and then in, in the second half, it's uh, it's pretty bleak. Uh, they're converting six of 31 in the fourth quarter alone. That's 19%. Uh, this Cougars team is for real folks. Uh, they they knocked off a, a really good SMU team. Thanks to Marcus Jones, who's a I swear to God. If USF kicks to him at any point for any reason whatsoever on Saturday, we're going to have some problems. That dude has returned four kicks for touchdowns this year, including a 100-yard kickoff return, walk-off, game-winning touchdown uh, against SMU last week. Like, what are we doing here? Stop as kicking somebody, to him. As somebody who had SMU in a pick him.
1: it was not my favorite choice to kick him
0: the football. <laughs> but let's dig into the numbers here, Seth, from uh, from Stout of War. Parker. Blue is good. Red doing is bad. So you look at the defense.
1: Defense is really good. Uh, Ninth in success rate. So basically, they're not allowing you the yards you need. So first down, three yards or less, they're allowing. Second down, half the yards would be a successful play. And then third down, converting third down would be a successful play. So they're ninth in the country in terms of defensive success rate. So they're allowing the ninth lowest in that in the country. 13th against the pass, 11th against the rush. Offensively, 82nd in success rate was actually behind USF. USF is 55th in success rate, 49th in the rush, 71st in the pass on offense. So uh USF has the better offense, it looks like. Maybe not the uh more explosive one, seemingly, but on a down-to-down basis, USF is more efficient. Probably not quite as explosive as Houston, though. And then you know, and then you kind of look on both sides of the ball, third downs. We talk about third downs and finishing. So in terms of third, third and fourth downs, they're 21st in the country on offense, sixth in the country on defense, and third and fourth down success. Points per echo, which is uh which is a quality drive rate. So the points they allow once they pass the 40 or get past the 40, so 40 yards and in, they're 24th on offense and 38th on defense, whereas USF is 81st on defense and 119th on offense. So not great matchup for USF. Um, This is probably one of the better defenses they face this this season. I know Jeff Scott said it might be the best defense they play all year. I think Cincinnati may have something to say about that, but they're really good statistically kind of, on everywhere everywhere so yeah that's that's a tough matchup for homecoming here
0: it's not great Um, (sighs) I'm just kind of looking here Um, so game opening drives You know, you, you get the ball. We really want USF to take the ball, go down there and score. They've done it three weeks in a row. Uh, this is what Houston's opponents have done in their game opening drives. Uh fumble, punt, right. punt, touchdown. Who was that? Navy. Mm, all right. So the answer is triple option this week. Yes. Uh then punt, punt, field goal, punt. And then, all right, well, you know, defer to the second half. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll adjust. We'll go from there. You know, you, you guys can take the ball first and, and we'll, we'll take it in the second half. Uh, this is what has happened to their opponents uh, in their second half opening drives punt, 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 interception, touchdown, downs, punt. Tough, tough matchup here. Um, I don't feel good about this game uh, I, I the the spreads 13 and a half I, that it does makes that makes no sense to me at all I don't get it either I really I don't, don't understand don't it. if uh, I, I don't get it I think Parker's way more uh, is way closer with this uh, basically a 22 point spread um, the projected points here I think that is just just a way more accurate barometer and uh, you know, Houston finishes drives. They're they're converting, uh, I think 91% of their, their red zone opportunities into touchdowns. And on the flip side, as you guys are seeing, the defense is really good. They're not letting you score. They've only had 17 opponents get into the red, uh, 17 drives, get into the red zone. And it, it they've been really successful at, uh, kind of holding them, holding them out. Let me make sure I got the, the numbers right here. Uh, yeah, so 17 possessions um, in the red zone for opponents. Uh they've only they've only allowed nine touchdowns in those 17 possessions, and they're scoring at a set they're scoring touchdowns at a 74% clip, uh 23 of 31 uh in their red zone possessions. So man, I just don't see it. Clayton Toons kind of lit it up a little bit. Uh he's completing nearly 70% of his passes, 1,800 yards, 16 touchdowns. Six picks, um, it, and it's just kind of, I, I don't know, it, it's a mix of a bunch of people. Mobile car is still at Houston somehow. Oh, yeah, my lord! I feel like we were talking about him when we were recording, uh, down at the library like three years ago, um, downtown with borrowed equipment, um, but. Alton McCaskill, uh, leads the team with 478 yards, uh, rushing and he has nine touchdowns on the year. Uh, I just, I don't know. They're, they're really good. Uh, they're good at converting points off a turnover. So you turn the ball over, they're pretty good at, at getting points out of that. Um, Marcus Jones is just the, is a difference maker. um, I don't know, man. I just, I, I feel terrible about this game. <laughs> I think this is going to be, you know, um, what is it success isn't a, a linear proposition or improved progress is <laughs> a, a linear. linear. This is going to be one of those downturn games. And, uh, you couple that with the rest of the games on the schedule and it may get ugly quick. There's really only one winnable game left on the schedule. If we're being completely honest here, uh, and, and we knew this going into November, right? That's why we said the the that three game stretch was really important to guys game, wins. That three game stretch was really important. You only you went one and two, and we were kind of throwing Houston in here early on yeah, because that was to be much better than anticipated. What what did what had they shown over the last two years under Dana Holgorsen that would show that they're going to be seven and one in a top twenty top twenty team? Yeah, well, they're doing it and they're beating some good teams. Um, and, and Navy's quietly gotten a lot better since that 28 to uh, 20 win for Houston. That was like the first game they finally turned it around. Right. Houston game. And then what a week or two later, they they beat Central Florida. So like, they've kind of started to turn it around. Um. Man. Since (laughs) since he is not the winnable game, uh, oh come on!
1: So here's here's a stat that I'm sure make everyone feel better. Houston (laughs) is uh, eighth in the country in tackles for loss. They're really good up front and really good about getting after the quarterback as well. So it'll be interesting to see if USF goes back to so the Temple game, the rushing record, right? was a great game, great job by the offensive line, but there were a lot of rushes that also didn't involve the offensive line at all, right there It was kind of a good mix of option stuff, and then you the jet sweep stuff and the counter and then counter off that, and the offensive line started to get lathered up and and then when they got to that the counter stuff, they were rolling downhill pretty good, right but it wasn't a lot of like just downhill running right at Temple. So I'll be interested to see if this if you see a similar game plan. I think Houston's probably a lot more athletic than Temple was on defense. But do you see a similar game plan where you try to get them to run sideline to sideline, use your speed? Or are they going to try to attack them downhill with how good they've been up front? I don't know. Should be interesting. But I would not be shocked to see more option stuff. It seemed like they were not necessarily holding back, Timmy, but it seems like they really I think just got said to today they knew they needed him at 100% for this final stretch run. So, hopefully it seems like he may be back at 100%.
0: Is that kind of what... what yeah, uh, I mean, that's that's reading the tea leaves, right? Uh, they expected him back. Um, I don't think they throw him out there at less than 100% after holding him out last week on, on the short week. You're getting oh, what, math's hard, what, two full weeks, I guess, of you know treatment and you know lucky for Timmy he didn't play on on that wet field and you know irritate the ankle, I yeah. think that was a i consideration. think, yeah, I think that could have been a consideration, just weather wasn't great uh for for last week, so you get an, an extra week of rest, and you know controversy wasn't terrible, it just well I mean that game, if we're gonna
1: go back and you know you you look at the first two drives. You get stopped on fourth down, or was it probably inside the 10, was it? Yeah, I think so. And then pretty you close. have that great throw it is to Weaver, who's getting ins- who's inside the 20, and then he fumbles. Those are two drives you very easily could have come away with touchdowns on, and the game's totally different, and Marsh's performance is viewed totally differently. I thought he played um, pretty well in the first half. The second half, obviously, we started getting some of the turnover stuff, and I, I think they kind of... I, I just got even said it today there was the the pick six was a play calling issue they were going back to the well one too many times with that deep out route and the corner was kind of squatting on it but i thought marsh played all right especially for your backup quarterback on the road i think he showed some good stuff yeah. um and not but- great weather yeah but having Timmy back 100% giving you that real run element I I think we've seen the last two games with Mar- or the game and a half Marsh is not a runner. He I think he can if he needs to, but that's not his game really. So Timmy will add a different element to the offense that will help them be a lot tougher to defend. So hopefully he's back at 100% and and throwing the ball well. Um and feels good because he's. They're definitely going to need his legs and kind of everything he's got to to have a chance to stay in this game.
0: Yeah, and I'm just kind of looking. You you mentioned Houston uh, being really uh, ranked highly in in tackles for loss and sacks. Uh, they have six guys with at least five tackles for loss, and then they have one, two three, four, five, six, another six guys with at least three sacks on the year there. I think they lead the nation in sacks or they're right up there. Uh, Sacks per game at like four. They're averaging. I know they're averaging
1: eight tackles for loss a game. They are fourth tied for fourth in sacks with 3.88 a game. So 31 sacks through
0: eight games. That's pretty, 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 pretty good and they've they've picked the ball off seven times. Uh, they forced nine fumbles. Uh, it's gonna be a great man. test. It's gonna be a great test and uh, man, I, I worry. I worry. They haven't. They they had a a really really bad game against the middle school in Lubbock to open the year they they turned the ball over four times and they've turned the ball over three combined times since that game weren't they up like 21 points or so they were up i believe they're
1: up double digits before it all started to go downhill i think the first half they were they got up early and then texas tech stormed back and won the game and then um in the, the second half they kind of went went downhill for them And that's their only loss of the year. So this will be – and we talk about, like, Cincinnati and the the college football playoff. I think if Houston keeps winning, which they'll probably end the season with no more losses if they can get by this pesky USF team, that is. Uh, They'll end the season with no more losses. And so they'll probably be top 25 by the time they hit – I would imagine top 25 by the time they hit the uh, championship game for the conference.
0: So – it's a pretty good team coming in here. It is. It really is. And uh it's just unfortunate. Uh they're USF's kind of catching them as they're they're starting to peak a little bit. Because yeah. their last three games are cake. Yes. At Temple, home for Memphis at UConn. <laughs> to end this season. I mean Yeah. yeah.
1: So they were up twenty-one seven at half against Texas Tech, and Texas Tech scored uh 31. Thirty-one points in the second half to win, and Houston got shut out. So, so they're uh, they're a bad half of football away from being undefeated.
0: So, I hope that makes everyone feel better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Nathaniel Dell, watch out for him. Talented wide receivers. leads the team with forty-six catches. Uh, he's he's been around for a while as well uh but it's he's a florida kid i believe i think so um but clayton tune uh kind of he's kind of stepped into that role nicely Uh, he's a junior so he still has another year um if he would decide to come back i'm you know, I'm sure he'll dip his toe into the the draft process and see what's what. Because I, I still don't feel like this draft class, this About quarterback draft class is is great. I mean, it sucks for any NFL team looking for a quarterback in the draft because there ain't much. The pickings are slim. Like uh, I brother. said
1: earlier, Desmond Ritter's a potential first round draft pick at quarterback. Yeah, it's kind of the by default. Uh, two years ago, I don't think anybody would have believed that, but he's. He's uh he's improved quite a bit, but he seems to be one of the guys that's got a chance at it. So he maybe maybe Tune will finish out the year strong and, and dip his toe in there and and see what he see what see what's what.
0: Yep. Um. I think that's it. Before we get to the predictions, let's just kind of uh, just kind of want to rapid fire some sports real quick. Um, women's soccer clinched the regular season title on Thursday last Thursday night with a two 0 win over Temple. That's their fifth straight AAC title, uh, regular season or tournament. Uh, they'll go in as the one seed. I believe that the tournament starts on Thursday. Yes, uh, SMU Thursday uh, at. 7 7 p.m. at Corbett it's the the semifinal uh for the the conference tournament uh four teams make it obviously uh SMU is their only conference loss of the season for this women's soccer team who uh kind of really replaced Evelyn uh seamlessly uh this year and uh yeah, you know, finished 11 3 and 2, 6, 1-1 one one in, in the conference. Uh, just a, a bang up job by Coach Denise uh, once again. Uh I think it's time to go for the double here uh for the Bulls. Uh get get that ring, get the regular season in the conference title again. Uh volleyball swept uh, in a home stand with uh, Wichita State and Tulsa. That's kind of par for the course. Uh, quite frankly, uh, women's golf play second to Palmetto intercollegiate. Uh, they shot a three over. Um, first place was uh, North Florida at eight under par. Uh, Melanie Green shot a, a team high or a team low, I guess, uh, five under par. Um, Men's golf finished fifth in the Bahamas. Uh, I was talking to Steve Bradley, the, the uh, golf head coach. A couple weeks ago. I think it was prior to the Tulsa game. No. Maybe? I think it was probably the Tulsa game. He was he was telling me about the their their fall and like, oh yeah, I gotta spend a couple days in the Bahamas. I'm like, man, your your job is so hard. Yeah, pick the wrong sport (laughs) growing up. Seriously. Uh men's soccer uh knocked off Central Florida four-nothing four three in overtime. Um it was a big win and they, they drew with Memphis, uh, are three points, uh, behind Memphis for that final spot. Uh, I think it may take some, some magic. Uh, they need, they need to beat, uh, temple, uh, on Friday. And then they need Memphis to lose, uh, versus SMU. So that's a big ask. Um, USF men's soccer teams kind of struggled all year. Uh, Frankly, um, the the Central Florida win kind of came out of nowhere. They were up 3-1 and then blew a a two-goal lead with, I think, about 20 minutes left and then uh, came back and won in overtime. So it was good for them to to find that. Uh, Cross-country also finishing last in in the conference uh, championships as well. So that, again, is also par for the course. Uh, men's basketball beat Voorhees College by 50 points last night. Took Olivia to the game. She lasted uh, until about three minutes left in the first half. And before we even left campus, she was asleep in, in the car seat. So I think she was just really tired. Um, let's see. What else? What else? Uh, men's and women's basketball starts on the ninth, uh, So we'll start covering them uh, ferociously and, and passionately as they uh, – kick off their seasons and i'm probably missing something else oh (laughs) white mike mike white throws for 304 excuse me 403 yards three touchdowns in the jets uh epic comfort behind uh win over the Bengals on sunday Uh, i became just the second player to throw for over 400 yards in their first career start joining Cam Newton in 2015 or what, 2011, whatever it is, 2011. Um, And then I believe he was the first player to ever throw for 400 yards and throw for three touchdowns in his first career uh, start. Just a a fantastic job by him. Um, Just did not fit the offense that Willie was going to be running. Uh, Eventually he – He had a a great uh, SMU game in 2014 that we'll always remember. Uh, But or Tulsa, I can't, I always get those two mixed up. It was Tulsa or SMU. Someone correct me. I'm getting old. Um, But I know it was 38 to 30. Uh, Fantastic job. Uh, by him, Dearness Johnson scored another rushing touchdown for the Browns, their only touchdown of the game against the Steelers in a losing effort. Marlon Mack did not get traded. Uh, that's that's JPP at three tackles and two pass breakups uh, in the loss against the Saints this past weekend. Um, as he worked, he's still playing through a, a torn labrum and a broken hand. Um, so keep going to that. But let's get into the, the predictions here, Seth. USF, thirteen and a half point underdog or twelve and a half point underdog. Uh, Stats of War has them losing by nearly twenty two points. Houston's really freaking good, <sighs> but, but what what's your what's your prediction here? Uh, I'm I'm still kind of debating. All right, well, I'm a positive guy,
1: so. I'm gonna go uh let's go thirty-eight thirteen, uh Houston. <laughs> the positive side of that would be scoring thirteen points. I think Houston's really good on defense. So um and then again, like I'm I'm probably gonna pick every team USF plays to score in the thirties. I think I've done it pretty much all year <laughs> and probably uh probably not gonna stop. So
0: Uh, I agree. Uh, I don't think USF is going to stop this Houston team. And I think this Houston, I think the Houston defense is probably the best unit on the field, except for when Marcus Jones is standing back there uh, as a kick returner or punt special punt returner. yeah, I don't, I don't see Houston scoring less than 35, right? Like this is no, it's
1: in the thirties, at least I think yeah. if this, if this, if USF covers this week, um, it'll be a, I don't know, I think it'll be a great sign of progress because this is a really good team coming in here. This is a much better team than Tulsa, much better than temple, much better than ECU. Really good team. Um, closer, I think, to the first two games of the year than um, these two in Cincinnati will be kind of the close. Will be about on the same level. Those first two, in some cases, better. Um, so, it's going to be a tough one. Uh, but if you see some real improvement here, and you see it, if it if it is a 13 point game, and or it's a one score game, you got to feel really good about. Where this team's headed, if that's the case, because this is not a yeah. not a lightweight coming in here. This is a pretty complete team with a lot of talent on both sides of the ball.
0: Yeah, I mean your score is really good. I don't want to pick the same score, so I gotta I gotta do something here. Your spread's twenty five. I'm gonna do forty five to twenty Houston, um, just because. Uh, I just don't – I don't see this defense – I don't think this defense fixes its issues in the last four games, especially with the four games that they're playing. I I don't see it happening. Um, I I think the writing's on the wall for the defensive coordinator. Uh, Unless something drastic happens in this last month of the year, I just – I don't see – Clint Spencer coming back. It just it doesn't make any. It doesn't make sense unless he is your bag man or the, just your absolute ace in the whole recruiter. That uh, if he leaves, then you lose everything. But I don't even think it's that. I, I like think your, your scheme's yeah. not working with the talent you have. The the um, here's how I look at it. Really, on on both
1: sides of the ball, I think. If you ask me, do I think they have good schemes on both sides of the ball? I would say, yeah, I think the schemes for the most part are sound. What they're trying to do is sound. It makes sense. If you ask me, are any of either of these schemes like super special? No, not really. Like, I, So do with that kind of what you will. Um, you know, you could probably you could probably upgrade schematically, um, but you know, it's kind of a. We'll see how the. Maybe it's just taking some time, and maybe their team will get back healthy, and you'll see kind of what the defense was supposed to look like. Because I still don't know if we've we have not seen the defense look like what they were running at FAU.
0: Still haven't seen it. Right? Not really even flashes. So. And, and to to your point about the the injuries, they're healthy. Right. The only person really missing now is Will Jones, and you've been without him all year. Yeah. You got T.J. Robinson back. You got Christian Williams back. You got Jalen Herring back. Mikyla points healthy. Antonio Greer's healthy. Dwayne Boyles is healthy. I mean, you got the guys back that you were fully expecting to be. So key if it's bad from here on out, that can't be right. That's not an excuse, right? It's so either either you're coaching it or you're allowing it to happen, and. It, at some yeah. point, you at some point, you got to look in the mirror and be like, I don't think this is the right fit. And I understand Jeff Scott wanting a seasoned guy on staff, but you can find those. There, there are plenty. I think Brian Van Gorder is still out there. I'm just kidding. Do not hire Brian Van Gorder. Todd Grantham, come on down. <laughs> No, too much. See, that's just the other end. There's so like Glenn Spencer is like the zero, and then like Todd Grantham is the, like the ten on the Bromer of how much you want to be blitzing. Like, go get you a lightly used Will Muschamp. <laughs> Where's he at now?
1: He's a special teams coordinator at Georgia, where his son's on the team, so he probably won't leave.
0: Yeah, I don't think so. That would be cool. Um. Talk about a great interview.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're hoping to see now that you feel like everybody's back, let's see that progress now. Let's see them take steps forward every week, getting better. Like we've seen from the offense, we've seen the offense take steps forward. It hasn't always been perfect, linear, but you've seen those steps forward. You've seen those really positive signs. I think you've seen flashes of positive signs from the defense with the turnovers and stuff like that, but you cannot live on turnovers. I heard – um, Bud Elliott. I heard him say it. You know, really well. Like turnovers are luck. Why are turnovers luck? Because if they weren't, Georgia and Alabama would lead the country in turnovers every year because they have the best players. So some of that is scheme, but a lot of it is kind of bounces that go your way or, or certain things like that. So you cannot really rely on turnovers as your defense. So right. if that's all you, if that's what you do best, that maybe won't translate year to year. Which, now that I think about it, is kind of one of the reasons uh, Jeff Scott hired him, hired Glenn Spencer. It's, they led the country in turnovers at FAA.
0: His teams weren't that good at Oklahoma State, folks. That's why I don't... I, I don't know if he got relieved of his duties at Oklahoma State, but he's not there anymore for reasons. But the head coach is still there. That guy's still around. And... Uh, <clears throat> It's not because they have uh, opposing views about things off the field. So I think we'll find out in the next four weeks if there's no
1: improvement. I would imagine something's got to give, right? Yeah. So hopefully we see the improvement. Though I think that's what we'd all rather see: great defense the rest of the year. USF wins every game, and now you've got your staff intact going into the off season, ready to roll.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, and and you sn- you steal a bull build bull you go. I mean, why not? Now we're talking. But does that seem likely? No, probably not likely. Uh, the per that per- the percentage of that happening is less than two percent. Was that too high? Same percentage as Cincinnati making the playoff. <laughs> oh man. Just to, just, to, just to go full circle. <laughs> tease, tease and peace in the chat, please. Uh, so zero, 0%. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Well, folks, uh, thanks for joining us as always. Um, it's been fun. Again, appreciate everybody who came out to Irish 31 last Thursday. We'll have those tickets sent out to you uh, this week for the winners. And uh, I appreciate you. Guys, listen, be sure to check out the film room tomorrow night. It'll be uh around it'll be around the same time at, you know, nine nine ish o'clock. Yeah, you know, we give ourselves that buffer because we have kids. Yeah, nine-ish. nine-ish. And uh we don't owe you anything. Damn it. We'll you know, we'll be here when we get here. If it's really late, we'll tell you. But I promise it'll no no later than like nine fifteen.
1: Yeah. Come for the film room, stay for Steeg's uh, musical references.
0: Yeah. Have fun tonight. Uh, tomorrow night, it'll be, it'll be a great time had by all, um, you know, gotta get Stieg, uh, some hosting reps, uh, to give me some, some time to do other things with basketball season coming up. So gotta get his, uh, his reps going. Uh, it'll be a good first team rep, uh, tomorrow night. Um so you know if it goes well maybe I get replaced. Um and if it doesn't go well then uh then Steve continues to get replaced on every every platform. other part of uh his walk of life here at the Daily Stampede. Yeah. Um so there's that. Again appreciate you guys listening to the Illuminati podcast proudly presented by Irish thirty one uh for Seth and Nathan. Good night. Be safe. Have a wonderful evening Talk tomorrow. Talk soon. Go Bulls. Go Bulls.